All right. Well, uh, so weather makes you change plans sometimes. And so uh, I will admit that today, for the first time in my seven years of preaching, I am recycling part of a sermon. I'm recycling part of a sermon. Uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, we had planned to start our James series today, but we kind of want it to be a normal Sunday for that, so we're going to do that next week. Uh, and so instead of doing James, we are doing a throwback. And the good thing is here, uh, this was like 11 months ago, so I know none of you remember it anyway. So uh, it was uh, back in our series, uh, to begin 2023, we did a series called The Old, The New, and The You. And we talked about God's authority in Scripture and how it intersects with our life and how it challenges us to think and act and believe based on a lot of different tough teachings that we find in the Scriptures. And so this is going back to, I believe, February at some point. And one of the main themes from this was that the Scriptures are meant to be taken seriously. They're important. They are valuable to us. And God's word isn't to be downplayed or trifled with or warped or twisted or disregarded. We value God's word. And God's word actually values us and our response to it. It's important and valuable. It's vital for anyone claiming to be a Christian to be reading and studying God's word. Uh, and then I think we also need to resist the urge, uh, and this is, again, we've, we've had this sewn out through a number of different series in the last few years, but we need to resist the urge to twist or bend the scriptures and their teachings to make ourselves look better. Now, I'm like anybody else. I don't like to be viewed in a negative light. Nobody wants to be uh, caught red-handed doing something wrong, right? And so sometimes uh, we are discovered or called out to be at fault, and we don't like that. But at the end of the day, that's what God's word often does for us. It calls us out, it reminds us of God's holiness and our failure to live up to that standard. It shows us our sin and it shows us our need of a savior. But then the word also shows us the solution to our sin, the solution to our problem that is available, the restoration, the mending, the hope by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the Bible doesn't call us out and say, you messed up, and I'm leave you there. The Bible calls you out, says you messed up, and then it offers the story, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ so that we may live differently, experience grace and forgiveness, and know that no matter our past mess-ups and sins, no matter our present sins and our future sins, when we know Jesus Christ, they are covered with his blood. And when we get there one day in front of Jesus, he'll know us. He'll know us because he knows us now and he loves us. The Bible gives us God's law to show us our sin and then it gives us the gospel to lead us into his life and grace. And so this uh, particular piece of the series we did last year, it's a good prepper for us going into the book of James because we want to treat James uh, and, and see God's authority communicated through the book of James. We want to take that seriously and we want to be ready uh, to live, to think, to respond to what we are challenged with in the coming weeks. And so today, uh, this is about God's authority with the scripture and how it intersects with our life. And we're going to be kind of rehashing and touching on arguably the three biggest general themes of the Bible today to get us ready for our James series next week. And I want to remind you going into this, uh, we can trust the testimony of the scriptures. We can trust it. It is a book of faith, but the Bible is also a historical document that has withstood the test of time and rigorous scrutiny 
year after year, generation after generation. And in the scriptures, we find a historical account of Jesus and the forgiveness of his teachings and even his resurrection from the dead witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people after he was thought to have been killed on the cross. So we know he went in the tomb and we know he came out and we can find endless wisdom and truth and knowledge that will work to transform our lives when we dig into God's word. And even better, uh, as we come to grow in our faith, we will not just know the words of the Bible to be true, we will begin to experience the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus isn't just someone uh, who wants you to know about him, he wants you to know him personally. And so what does the Bible compel us to do? What does God compel us to do through the scriptures consistently from the beginning to the end? Uh, The first thing is this, we are compelled to believe. We are compelled to believe. And in our John passage we heard this morning, there's a lot of truths about God, particularly Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, that we are compelled to believe. In verse 1, we are compelled to believe that Jesus is God. He is not uh, just a human interacting on behalf of God. He's not just an embassy or an emissary sent to us. No, Jesus is God. He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that's really important. It's really important for us to understand that Jesus is not lesser. Verse 3 compels us to believe that all things that have been made were made through Jesus, meaning he was there at creation. We talked about this way back at the beginning of January last year. Jesus was there. The Word spoke. The Word of God spoke in creation and caused what is to come out of nothing, and that is Jesus' presence there. And John here in chapter 1 reminds us of that. Verse 4 and 5 of our John Gospel this morning compels us to believe that Jesus is the light and that darkness cannot overcome it. We had that as part of our theme uh, in Advent last month. Light has come. The evil cannot overcome our triune God. The darkness that the enemy sows, that sin brings, that is in our lives and around us in the world, cannot be overcome by the light of Jesus Christ. And that's a promise we are compelled to live in every day as followers of Jesus. Verses 9 through 11 compel us to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh coming into the world. But the world really has a hard time recognizing him for that. Then and now. And then verse 14 compels us to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh revealing to us the glory of God full of grace and truth. So Jesus come not to have a separate agenda from his Father in heaven. He came to have the agenda, the glory, the mission, the truth that the Creator was communicating through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then later in the Gospel of John, John 3.16, again, very familiar verse, the last part of that, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Belief is very important. Belief is very important. So once we believe, the scriptures compel us to believe the testimony of God and the angels and the prophets all the way through, believe the words of Jesus Christ, believe the historical account of his death and resurrection, believe the teachings of the New Testament, believe the promises that are coming at the end as we read in the last few chapters of Revelation. One of the other consistent themes, once we come to belief in Jesus Christ, is the theme that we would repent. 2 Chronicles 7.14 in the Old Testament says this. This is God speaking through a prophet. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In the, Old Tent, in the Old Testament, this repentance, it was necessary, it was vital for Israel, for God's people to be restored to God. It required sacrifice, it required the shedding of blood, it required them turning from the sin to God. And that's what repentance is, that's what to repent means. If my sin is over here and God is over here, I am turning away from my sin and I'm no longer going to look at that and I'm no longer going to live in it, but I'm going to live in the truth and the reality of God that we see through Jesus Christ. And this same repentance, uh, it is true in the message of the New Testament as well. We see it there. We turn from sin and face towards Jesus and his grace. And we find forgiveness and hope. And again, this is something in the Western church and the American church. Uh, We don't maybe preach on repentance as as much as we need to. Uh, And again, it's because we don't want to be called out. We don't want to be found to be at fault. Uh, We are independent and we are self-sustaining, right? Uh, And we don't want somebody to tell us that we are wrong or doing wrong. Yet, the scriptures tell us that we can And I would argue that we cannot come to truly understand the grace of Jesus if we have not first understood the depth of our own sin. We cannot come to know Christ through any other path other than repentance and recognizing our need for him. And the temptation is to steer away from talking about that or preaching about that because it does involve us admitting that we are broken and sinful people. I am a broken and a sinful person in need of a savior. If those are words you have never said yourself, I challenge you in prayer to say those words, to be honest and real before your Lord. I am a broken and a sinful person who does not measure up to God's holiness. I am in need of Jesus Christ. And this temptation to steer away from repentance has created a church in this country that often tolerates or redefines what God calls to be sin, And we say, maybe that's not as bad as what God thought it was. I'm always going to try to side with God on those things in the scriptures. Uh, And and then sometimes we see churches or people that are just, uh, they've strayed so far from the truth of the scriptures that their lives or their communities don't, don't really resemble Jesus anymore. They resemble maybe the pagan culture that we live in, the secular culture that we live in. Just like when Israel lost their way in the Old Testament, they started to look like all the competing religions around them. They didn't hold true to God's promises and provision in word. And so when they lost their way, they looked no different than the neighboring countries who worship false gods. And that's really true for us today and in any time. The bottom line is this. Repentance means that we are convicted of our sin through the Holy Spirit. That we confess it to our Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our Savior, Messiah, as the Son of God, and that we turn away from that sin and we face Jesus. Now, in our Matthew Gospel this morning, Matthew 3, 1 through 6, John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This repentance, this turning from sin and seeking God is what lays the foundation for Jesus Christ to come into his earthly ministry. So his cousin, John the Baptist, is essentially rolling out the red carpet and saying, repent. Because the one who is coming after me, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. This repentance and this turning from sin and seeking God uh, is what preps us to then understand and accept the grace of Jesus Christ. We cannot embrace the sin and the Savior at the same time. 
Jesus has the same message. So after he's tempted in the wilderness, uh, his public ministry begins. In Matthew 4, 17, it tells us, Jesus then began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What John preached to prepare the way for him, Jesus then took up the same message. And repentance, again, is not a feel-good message. It's a reminder that we are broken and sinful and need to turn away from that. This is still Jesus' plea to us today. It hasn't expired. We have an incredible blessing given to us by God to find forgiveness and be restored to relationship through Jesus Christ. And repentance is necessary for that. And it's time that we stopped clinging to the things that God calls sin and being okay with those things, and we start clinging to the one who saves us from the sin, none other than Jesus Christ. Repentance means that we take Jesus' call seriously to leave the old life behind, to leave the sin behind, and to follow him. And that brings us into our third major theme of scriptures. Again, from the beginning to the end, we are called to follow. To follow in love. Not to follow with our own agenda, but to follow Jesus for his agenda. And so the scriptures call us to believe, and they call us to repent, and then they call us to follow. We don't turn away from our sin and then stay sitting right by the sin, right? Uh, God's love, his grace, it changes us and it compels us to follow Jesus in word and in deed. So John 15, 9 through 10 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So following Jesus involves keeping his commands, which by extension means it involves knowing what his commands are and working towards an understanding and a deepening of our understanding of Jesus' direction for our life. God has given us certain directions. He's given us certain commands very clearly in his word and the scriptures, because he wants us to experience good life, abundant life, rather than a shallow life that is suffering from our sin. We follow Jesus by obeying his commands and by loving others like he loved others. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we heard that read just a few minutes ago, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I was thinking about this and what a good analogy might be. And so, uh, were any of you stuck behind a snowplow at all in the last week? Anybody? A few people? Yeah. Uh, And sometimes that's frustrating. It can be frustrating to be stuck behind a snowplow. It involves you to be what? Patient. And it involves you to maybe lay down your time schedule for a little bit because often they don't go as fast as you think they should. But when you're stuck behind a snowplow, what is the likelihood of you getting stuck in a drift? It's not very high, is it? Because the plow is literally leading the way in front of you. And, and so as I'm reflecting on this, uh, he will make straight your paths. If you, if you think about following Jesus, uh, like following a snowplow, uh, the, the work, the hard work is being done ahead of you. The Spirit of God, Jesus' Spirit, goes ahead of you in this world and prepares the path for you. And then if you follow him, you want to be close enough that you can see him, Right? And you can know and you can trust that he's going to set a good, healthy pace, and you can know that you're not going to get stuck in something that he has already cleared the way of. 
God will direct our paths. If Jesus is our Lord, if we trust him, if we are truly disciples of him, that means we're willing to follow him, and then our paths are to be made straight and directed by him. And too often we make up our own minds on what we're going to do, and then we ask God to bless that, right? That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not how God's authority in Scripture works. We don't make our own decision and ask God to stamp, good, good job. Oftentimes, that leads down the roads we don't want to go down. It begins with God's love in Jesus Christ. It follows with trust and faith and obedience to God's direction. And it concludes with God's love transforming us now and then preparing us for this eternity later. How can we expect to experience God's abundant life for us if we're not willing to follow Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit? And we follow Jesus again by trusting in his teaching, his promises, and his power to save us now and transform us as we follow. So we get both the benefit of knowing that our eternity is secure and we get the benefit of growing today. And being able to be part of the um, priceless work of professing the gospel to the world. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, our last scripture in here this morning. Uh, it's the Great Commission. Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples before he leaves. It says this, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus places a very specific call on the lives of his followers, and following Jesus means that we respond to that call. We respond to it. We accept that call. We take it on as our call. It means that we recognize that we are a people of the power of God and not a people who are helpless to change the world, but a people who have actually been given everything we need to change the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so this great commission, it's not just a good one, it's a great one. This great commission cannot be overlooked by one who says they are a Christian, by one who says they are following Jesus. Because if we don't take on that, we're not being obedient, following the commands of Jesus. We follow Jesus by participating in the work that Jesus calls his followers to participate in. And that gets played out in many different ways in our lives. Whether we're in a church or in ministry or in the marketplace or whether we're home, raising our family, whatever that looks like, it gets played out in different ways. But in all of those callings, in all of those gifts God has given us, that we use in our lives day to day, we are able to actually still follow Jesus in the Great Commission. In proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In teaching those inside the church and teaching those outside the church uh, about Jesus Christ and his love. And those who come to know Christ along the way, we get to preach the gospel to them as well. And this is a calling, again, that is for all in Christ, not just a pastor, not just a church leader, not just an author or a good speaker. It's for all. So what does this boil down to this morning? Well, I really want you to take those three things with you. 
Believe, repent, and follow. Believe, repent, and follow. Repetition is good, right? Believe, repent, and follow. We know that it's not something we do once and we're good for the rest of our lives. This is an everyday mentality, a posture that we take. Waking up each morning and saying, Lord, would you lead me? Help me to believe. Lord, shine some light in the darkness in those areas of my life where I need to repent. Lord, remind me of your promises and your call in my life so that I may follow. Believe, repent, and follow. This is the consistent, it is the persistent theme of the whole Bible. And it's an invitation from God to you to live your life accordingly. As we dig into the book of James next week, I invite you to believe the testimony of James that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write in this letter to the church. I invite you to repent of the ways that we study, that we see, that we find that our lives actually contradict the message of James. May we repent of those things. And I invite you to follow Jesus by having a faith that acts, a faith that does, a faith that is lived out with your actions, with your energies, everything, not just a faith that is held up here with no practical purpose, a faith that changes your life, a faith that recognizes that the power of God is meant to change the world and that we are his instruments to do so. It can change our lives. It can change our family's life. It can change our community's life and our church's life. And it can change the whole world. So I invite you to believe, repent, and follow. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, At the end of the day, Lord, you've made some things very clear to us uh, in your word. Lord, help us to trust your word and trust that it is for us, not just for someone else. Um, Lord, help us to trust uh, those doubts and those challenges, those hills that we see in front of us that we think, man, if I could just get rid of that, I could then follow Jesus. Well, Lord, we know that you are the one who removes those things. So we ask you, God, that you would go before us, that you would plow out the drifts in front of us, Lord. You would teach us patience as we follow you and your direction. And Lord, we don't always need to know what happens next week or the week after or 10 years down the road, Lord, but today, may we live today to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would help us each uh, work that out in our lives uh, as we all have very different gifts and callings and vocations. Um, Lord, I know that you can use any follower of Jesus in any field, in any place in this world for your goodness and love. So I pray, Lord, that we would take on that mentality no matter what stage of life we are in, that we would believe, repent, and follow. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.